Many of our most treasured and familiar Christmas traditions are packed with symbolic meaning. The circular shape of a wreath and the holly and ivy it's made from are all said to represent eternal life. By some accounts, the ingredients in a mince pie represent the gifts of the Magi. And a Christmas candle is often said to represent the Star of Bethlehem. And one of the most ubiquitous sights and flavors of the season is a symphony of symbolism in its own right. Its white color represents purity and rejection of sin. Its peppermint flavor is a reference to hyssop, a mint-like herb that appears several times in the Old Testament for ceremonial cleansing of houses, among other things. The red stripes represent blood. And, of course, the shape, roughly the length and diameter of a pencil, is bent at the bottom into a crook to form a letter J for Jesus. Maybe you've even heard that these items were used as a way for Christians to secretly identify one another during times of persecution. Except, none of that is actually true. Just as with the claim that the gifts from the Twelve Days of Christmas are secretly metaphors for biblical stories, so too has the humble candy cane been given a second life in the realm of myth. Myth retrofitted and superimposed upon something with a completely different origin story. There is no record at all to suggest that candy canes were created with any of this symbolism in mind. I mean, if they were, wouldn't they be called candy jays? And wouldn't the red symbolizing blood be a more appropriate symbol for Easter than Christmas? And besides, it's pretty well established already that candy canes were actually created way back in 1670 in Cologne, Germany, as a way of inducing children to behave in church. The choir master of the Cologne Cathedral needed to keep children quiet during ceremonies involving the church's live nativity scene. So he went to a local confectioner and asked him to create some white peppermint sticks, which were already common at the time, but to bend the top to form the shape of a shepherd's cane. If the kids were busy with their candy canes, they wouldn't talk so much. Except none of that is actually well established either. Well-circulated, yes, widely accepted, sure, but the idea that candy canes A came from Germany, B were the idea of a choir master, C were given out in church, and D were meant to symbolize a shepherd's cane are about as historically supported as that first theory. There is simply nothing in the way of documentation or artifact or anything else that passes historical muster to support this story. For something so closely tied to Christmas, at least these days, and whose very image and flavor is practically synonymous with the season, and for a season whose many traditions contain centuries or millennia's worth of history and culture, it may be surprising to realize that candy canes are something of a sweet mystery. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. Let's take it from the top. Here's what we do know. Candy sticks have been around for centuries. They were usually plain white and often flavored with peppermint, among other flavors. Then, as now, run-of-the-mill candy sticks were enjoyed all throughout the year. And somewhere along the way, confectioners figured out how to add decorative stripes to candy. And somewhere else along the way, someone thought to bend a candy stick into the shape of a cane. And here's something else we know. The first recorded English-language references to candy canes come not from 1670, or anywhere close to the time they were supposedly created, but nearly two centuries later. The first known reference was in 1866 in the story Tom Luther's Stockings, published in Ballou's magazine. There's a casual mention of candy canes in a candy shop window. There was no description as to their size or color or even flavor, and Tom Luther's stockings in this case weren't Christmas stockings, as you might imagine. 
because the first recorded references to candy canes being specifically connected with Christmas didn't appear until almost a decade later. That came in another magazine, one for young readers called The Nursery. An 1874 story titled Benny's Letter includes a child's letter to Santa Claus asking for, among other things, a candy cane. His wish list also included things that are common at Christmas but not exclusive to it, like almonds and a pencil. So we can deduce that somewhere between the late 19th century and early 20th, candy canes became not only associated with Christmas, but also pretty much exclusively so. Other popular Christmas items have followed a similar course. Fruitcake, for example, was once a common cake for all celebrations, like weddings. Eggnog used to be a common alcoholic beverage enjoyed year-round. That makes candy canes one of a very small number of candies enjoyed only at a certain time of year. And, in the case of candy canes, maybe one of the reasons they're so closely linked to Christmas, at least here in America, is because their hook shape makes them perfect for hanging on a Christmas tree. In fact, in 1882, eight years after the publication of Benny's Letter, another short story, this one published in Babyland magazine, mentions hanging the candy on the branches of a Christmas tree. Some have even gone as far as speculating, and it is just speculation, that that is the true origin of the hooked cane shape. Because it was once common to decorate Christmas trees with all kinds of food items like cookies and fruits, and some have theorized that the idea of the cane was specifically to accommodate hanging them on the tree. And it's one of the few candies, and perhaps the only candy, that's really used as much as a decoration as it is a piece of candy to eat. That's Kirk Vashaw. He's the CEO of Spangler Candy in Ohio. They're the largest producer of candy canes in America, and they produce about half of all the world's candy canes. If you've ever had a candy cane, it was almost certainly made by Spangler. The United States has a tradition of people decorating their Christmas trees with candy canes, which is not a tradition in most other countries. But in the United States, that's where most of the candy cane volume is in the world, and it is because of that tradition of decorating with the Christmas trees. But even though candy canes are a seasonal treat for you and me, they're daily work for Spangler. We make candy canes throughout the year. It's Christmas every day here. We are always making candy canes. So just what kind of production schedule is necessary to keep the shelves stocked and the Christmas trees decorated and the office candy bowls full? We make about 2.7 million candy canes every day, and we usually start making for the following Christmas. We might start around November 1st for the following year. And even though much of the work is done by machines, the first patent for a candy cane machine is about 100 years old, there's still some old-world confectionery craftsmanship in every candy cane you eat. The striping process is very manual, and it takes, uh, it's one of the hardest jobs that we have in our factory in the sense that it takes a while to get good at striping a, a candy cane. It is still done by hand, so in some sense they're all... Uh, hand, they start out all handmade. In a given year, Spangler makes about 650 million candy canes, serving a $100 million retail market. And given everything we've learned so far, we can say that red-striped and mint-flavored candy canes are the traditional form, but we don't know exactly what we're talking about when we say traditional. It's pretty likely that traditional candy canes, quote-unquote, were invented or at least finalized sometime in the 19th century. 
and they stayed that way until about 20 years ago. In the last 20 years, there's been more uh, what we call flavored candy canes. For example, we make a, uh, a Jelly Belly candy cane that has Jelly Belly flavors in it and Jelly Belly colors, and there are Starburst candy canes, and there are chocolate mint candy canes. And those flavored candy canes typically are eaten at a higher percentage. A lot of them don't actually make it to the tree. They get eaten ahead of time. And you've seen some of those odd ones on the shelves or shared on social media. Kale-flavored candy canes, mac and cheese-flavored, dill pickle-flavored, which, I'm not going to lie, that actually sounds pretty good. Even though we don't know the true origins of the candy cane, we do know that we're not done yet experimenting with this iconic Christmas treat. And candy canes play a part in this episode's Christmas memory. If you've been following the season so far, you know that the Christmas memories will work just a little differently this year. And that's because I'm recording most of these episodes in the summer when it's still just a little too early to ask you to send them. And I'm doing that because, come early November, we'll be welcoming a new member to the Christmas Past family and to the household here at Christmas Past Headquarters. So, in many of these episodes, like this one, the Christmas memories you'll hear will be from yours truly. But I want you to hear me loud and clear. I still want to include your Christmas memories this season, and there's still time to send them, and there's still a place to include them in the episodes that will arrive closer to Christmas Day. So, as always, the thing to do is record a voice memo into your phone and send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Keep it reasonably short, clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Now, this isn't a memory in the form of a specific event or anecdote, but rather of a recurring part of my childhood Christmases. Every year, my siblings and I would wake up at the crack of dawn, if not sooner. My parents, understandably, wanted to sleep in a bit. So we were allowed to run downstairs and look at all of the boxes wrapped under the tree, and also to go open our stockings, unsupervised. My mom made matching stockings out of red and white felt for everyone in the family. I still have mine to this day, and I still hang it up every year. The stockings were hung by the mantle throughout the season, but on Christmas morning we found them laid out on the living room furniture. And that's because the stockings were on the small side, not big enough to hold all of the gifts that each of us received. A typical stocking for me would include those chocolate coins wrapped in foil, a tube of chapstick, perfect for fighting off the chill and dry air of New England winters, a coloring book, one of those puzzle games with the ball bearings where you had to align and balance everything just perfectly, and always a candy cane. We'd spend the early morning going through our stuff, sharing and playing and speculating about the other items under the tree, until my parents staggered downstairs and began the morning's main event. What kind of things did you get in your stocking when you were growing up? Big things? Small things? Things that say something about the time or place you grew up in? I'm always interested to know what kind of things people received in their stockings growing up. It's an interesting little microcosm of childhood and family and culture. I'd love to hear about it, so as always, reach out to me at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or better yet, share it in a Christmas memory. Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks so much to Kirk Vashaw, and thank you for listening and being part of the Christmas Past family. Hey, I'm doing my part to grow the Christmas Past family. How about you? Telling a friend about the show or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts are quick and easy ways to show your support, and they really do make a big difference. 
And if you do leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card to say thanks. Reach out for details on that. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and let me invite you to join our private Christmas Past Facebook group for the 2020 Christmas season and beyond. And visit christmaspast.media for additional Christmas fun like articles, quizzes, infographics, and more. I hope your 2020 holiday season is off to a wonderful start, and I'm looking forward to spending it with you together. Until we meet again, stay safe and healthy, look out for one another, and may your days be merry and bright.